Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. AINC programming is brought to you in part by Weissman Family Dental in Boulder, Colorado. For over 25 years, Weissman Family Dental has been providing high-quality dentistry. They offer regular checkups, emergency care, and a wide range of specialty services. They also have staff that speak Spanish. If you are looking for a new dentist, find them at WeissmanFamilyDental.com or call them at 303-494-0101 and tell them Audio Information Network of Colorado sent you. Thank you for joining us for the Thursday, June 29, 2023 reading of the Boulder Weekly. My name is Eric Levine. News, not in my backyard. Boulder County considers ending a 40-year-old conservation easement to meet housing needs by Will Matuska, June 29, 2023. When Vic Pizzo moved into a southwest Longmont neighborhood five years ago, it quickly became home. He calls Clover Creek a, quote, nice place to live, unquote. The local kids who play on the streets remind him of his childhood neighborhood. The nearby path running along a swath of prairie is a great place to walk his dog and look at the distant mountains. In a city that's grown by nearly 20,000 residents since 2010, this area on the edge of Longmont is quiet, less developed, but that could change soon. On July 6, the Boulder County Commissioners will vote to end a 40-year-old conservation easement over the Kanamoto Estates Prairie, located less than 1,000 feet south of Pitzo's neighborhood. If the easement ends, the city of Longmont will move one step closer to transforming the 38-acre plot into a, quote, 100% attainable, unquote, housing development named Somerset Village. The review process was initiated by the landowner and developer Left Hand Ranch LLC, requesting to terminate the easement, annex the land into Longmont, and develop a residential neighborhood. Some say the parcel is an ideal place for Longmont to expand as it attempts to meet increasing demand from a growing population and fewer residential development sites. David Emerson, Executive Director of Habitat for Humanity of the St. Vrain Valley, hopes to build homes for the organization on the property if the opportunity arises. He says the area needs more affordable housing. Quote, we're just trying to bring in the voice of those who are working in our community who can't afford to buy a home, unquote, he says. But other Longmont residents, like Pizzo, have a different perspective. Keep Airport Road Environmental and Safe, K-A-R-E-S, CARES, is a coalition of 70 community members staunchly opposed to ending the easement. While members live across the county, many of them live in the Clover Creek subdivision adjacent to Kanemoto Estates. They've raised more than $14,000 to support hiring a legal team. 
Quote, it will absolutely destroy the peace of the neighborhood, unquote, says Pizzo, bringing more traffic and congestion. If the development continues, Pizzo says he'll move out. In a county with more than 100,000 acres of open space, a booming population, and a dearth of affordable housing, the argument around developing the Kanemoto Estates easement is the latest installment in an ongoing debate around development versus conservation, with all the trappings of a good Boulder County land use argument, confusion, nimbyism, and minute detail. Preserving land? The nearly 40-acre Kanemoto Estates property is located on the east side of Airport Road, half a mile north from the intersection of Airport Road and Diagonal Highway, 8702 North 87th Street, in unincorporated Boulder County. <coughs> the conservation easement was established in 1982 between the Kanemoto family, who owned the land at the time, and Boulder County Parks and Open Space, because the Kanemotos wanted to build another home on the property. Boulder County land use policy required 75% of the property be set aside to preserve agricultural land through a conservation easement. This created three parcels on the Kanemoto Estates subdivision, two tracts with residential homes totaling just under 10 acres, and an approximately 29-acre lot with a non-urban planned unit development, NUPUD, conservation easement. A conservation easement is a voluntary legal agreement between a landowner and a qualified holder, such as a land trust or government agency, to restrict use on the property to protect natural features, agricultural potential, or historical significance. Boulder County's conservation easements protect more than 40,000 acres and nearly 850 private properties. On its website, the county says it, quote, holds hundreds of conservation easements that are designed to remain in effect for perpetuity, unquote. But the Kanemoto Estates easement is one of 133 across the county that include language allowing the easement to end in favor of development, which will be decided by the Boulder County Planning Commission and the county commissioners. Randall Weiner, a lawyer with Weiner and Cording representing CARES, says a common misconception is that conservation easements will be protected in perpetuity. Members of the CARES group claim residents near Kanemoto Estates were wrongly informed, either by city or county staff or realtors, that the conservation easement would last forever. Joe and Cheryl Stasiak bought their Clover Creek home 15 years ago with that understanding. When they found out the easement could be developed, they were, quote, surprised and dismayed, unquote. Quote, this was wrong to start with, to put the word conservation on something that wasn't, according to the city and county, intended to be conserved at all, unquote, says Joe, 
who is a member of CARES. If commissioners vote in favor of termination, it wouldn't be the first time. The county told Boulder Weekly about four other properties near Longmont where conservation easements were ended in favor of development, amounting to nearly 200 acres of additional subdivisions. Dale Case, director of Boulder County Community Planning and Permitting, says there have been, quote, several, unquote, other easements terminated over the years as Longmont annexed land without the city county's inv involvement. If the county commissioners decide to end the easement on Kanemoto Estates, the developer will pay the county $2.3 million. The county has been paid once before to end an easement, nearly $2 million, to develop the area northeast of North 79th Street and Plateau Road in Longmont, known as Lane Farms. Community backlash was similar, with residents forming an opposition group that argued high-density urban housing development on the Lane Farms property wouldn't be compatible with the neighborhood's rural character. The county says payment from the developer would be used to acquire more open space. A comprehensive view. Kanemoto Estates is attractive for development because it's already within Longmont's planning area and could keep development clustered to eliminate sprawl. The county maintains that terminating the easement aligns with the Boulder County Comprehensive Plan, BCCP, and various intergovernmental agreements with Longmont, which has identified the property as a future development site since 1996. But a letter to the county commissioners from Weiner and Cording, the law firm representing the CARES group, argues the easement shouldn't be terminated for multiple reasons. First, they say comments by county staff in support of termination are, quote, unsupported legally, unquote. The legal team also argues ending the easement would be inconsistent with some of the goals and land use regulations set out in the BCCP. Finally, they claim the easement predates now expired intergovernmental agreements that establish development plans for the area. Quote, it is precisely when the development pressures are great that the county commissioners should fulfill their fiduciary obligations to maintain the conservation easements already in place, unquote, the letter says. While language in the easement contract suggests termination is possible in favor of development, the subdivision plat signed by Jimmy and George Kanemoto on April 21, 1982, includes a dedication of improvements on the property, quote, to the use of the public forever, unquote. Boulder County Commissioner Ashley Stoltzman says these land use discussions are, quote, a really complicated topic, unquote. Quote, having a comp comprehensive view of where we want growth to occur and where we want preservation to occur is so important, she says, and that's what our comprehensive plan strives to do, 
to really put growth and development in concentrated areas in the city and then to leave unincorporated areas more rural." Unquote. Conservation or Development Kanemoto Estates is currently owned by Left Hand Ranch LLC, the same company that proposed the development of Somerset Village. One of its goals for the property is to, quote, ensure there are affordable and accessible housing options that meet the needs of residents of all ages, abilities, and income levels, unquote, through a mixed residential community. Quote, this is a win-win for open space and for attainable housing, unquote, says Jack Bestall, part of Left Hand Ranch's ownership. Quote, we need affordable and attainable housing for workers and people to build equity and ownership and have rental home capability, unquote. Emerson, with Habitat for Humanity, says community concern for often surrounds development projects. Quote, if we backed down from all and any type of neighborhood concern and didn't advocate for those who are not able to live here, but who work here, we would not be building at all, unquote, he says. If the easement is terminated, the property must be annexed by Longmont. Final decisions surrounding annexation, zoning, and development of the site will be made by the city. Longmont City Council member Sean McCoy says council hasn't talked about Kanemoto Estates, but that his constituency wants open space including conservation easements. Quote, I would not support annexation of the land, and I would really lobby my other council members to see it the same way, unquote, he says. He shared additional concerns that it would be difficult to bring resources like public transit to the development area. Wiener, who represents CARES, says there may be enough interest from residents to sway the commissioners. Quote, Open space is one of the crown jewels of Boulder, and if there's enough people knowing what's happening, there will be a lot of opposition, unquote, he says. Commissioner Stoltzman says the biggest thing that will sway her vote at the July 6 hearing is public input. Quote, it's just so critical that people weigh in with their views on this, she says, because this is a complicated one. It's not cut and dry, unquote. News. Now you know, June 29, 2023. This week's news in Boulder County and beyond by Will Matuska. Prioritized enforcement zones are on the ballot. The Safe Zones for Kids initiative received enough signatures through the City of Boulder's Direct Democracy program to appear on November's ballot. Proposed in April, the initiative establishes a, quote, prioritized enforcement zone, unquote, 500 feet from school property lines and 50 feet from multi-use paths and sidewalks. Safe Zone for Kids gathered more than 5,000 paper signatures, although not all of them were verified by the city. At least 3,437 verified signatures are required for an initiative to get on the ballot. Quote, 
We're just a group of parents really concerned about the safety around our public spaces with our children and going to and from school, unquote, says Jennifer Rhodes, a member of the group. The ballot initiative was proposed after several tent fires near Boulder High School. Of 297 confirmed fires in Boulder in 2022, nearly 100 were in locations the fire department typically engages with the unhoused community. See News, Ease the Harm, April 6, 2023. In a press release, Safe Zone for Kids writes, quote, the removal of tents, propane tanks, and other prohibited items will be given higher priority in these areas than others outside prioritized zones, unquote. Quote, we can't let our kids be exposed to dangerous and illegal adult behavior that is occurring in our public spaces, Rhodes says, and I would say we can do both. We can help those experiencing major mental health and addiction crises and protect our children at the same time, unquote. Meanwhile, Boulder doesn't provide adequate resources for the approximately 450 unhoused residents in the city, including not having enough shelter space or mental health and addiction support services. Ride RTD for free. Boulder County is participating in RTD's Zero Fare for Better Air Summer Initiative by expanding fare-free services on ride-free Lafayette and the Lions Flyer. The free rides, starting July 5 and ending August 31, aim to increase accessibility to public transportation, save costs, reduce traffic, and improve air quality during the height of the summer when ozone levels in the front range are poor. Quote, the program is really important for us because transit is the key to achieving not only our air quality goals, but also our equity goals in Boulder County, unquote, says Angel Bond, program manager at Boulder County. Ride-free Lafayette provides on-demand transit service within the city seven days per week, including holidays. The Lions Flyer goes between the town of Lyons and Boulder during the week. Both are expanding ride services through August. The Zero Fare for Better Air program also includes free rides across RTD's system. According to the county, 85% of greenhouse gas emissions from transportation are due to daily commuting. Colorado announces first full-time Colorado River Commissioner. The Colorado Department of Natural Resources announced Rebecca Mitchell as the state's first full-time commissioner to the Upper Colorado River Commission, UCRC, on June 22. Mitchell served as the director of the Colorado Water Conservation Board for six years and as the governor-appointed Colorado River Commissioner since 2019. The commissioner will help find solutions to challenges on the river with tribal nations, upper and lower basin states, and the federal government, 
and will be Colorado's representative to the UCRC, which helps coordinate the four upper division states on Colorado River policy. In an email to Boulder Weekly, Mitchell says her guiding principles for river management include defending against curtailment in the upper basin, giving both upper and lower basins equal right to the river, preserving water rights for tribal nations, and living within the means of what the river provides. Mitchell's appointment comes as experts across the Colorado River Basin discuss how to make more permanent cuts to the river while usage is projected to increase and flow to decrease. A deal was proposed at the end of May by the seven basin states to conserve at least 3 million acre feet by the end of 2026, but a much needed long-term solution remains elusive. See News Flow State, June 15, 2023. Quote, the next few years are going to be incredibly intense as we shift the way that the seven basin states cooperate and operate Lakes Powell and Meade, Mitchell said in a press release. This expanded role will allow me to fully focus on Colorado's needs at such a critical time and actually work towards long-term sustainable solutions to managing the Colorado River, unquote. Forest Service funds wood energy markets. Colorado is receiving more than $2 million from the Forest Service to, quote, expand the use of wood products and strengthen wood energy markets, unquote, and support forest management practices from the 2023 Wood Innovations Grant. Quote, Healthy forests depend on a healthy forest products economy, and these investments within the Rocky Mountain region support local economies, unquote, says Frank Boom, a regional forester, in a press release. Quote, in addition, they will help improve forest health while lowering wildfire risks to communities, unquote. Recent studies and films challenge the notion that forest management practices will lower wildfire risks to communities. See News Living with Fire, June 8, 2023. If protecting communities is the goal, more and more experts argue to focus on home hardening and creating defensible space rather than working in the forest. Opinion. Dear BVSD Board of Education, a loss of privilege is not the same as racism. BVSD's recent settlement is a complete disregard for students of color and undermines the racism and discrimination these students face at school. By Latino Parent Advisory Council, June 29, 2023. On behalf of the Latino Parent Advisory Council, CAPL, we are writing to express our profound disagreement with the district's decision to pay the Leahy family a $32,500 settlement for their lawsuit, alleging that the district's equitable discipline policies constitute discrimination against white students. BVSD's disciplinary policies have been historically inequitable and discriminatory in practice to
towards students of color, specifically toward Latino, Hispanic, and Black African American students. Data from the district demonstrates that the opposite is true. When white students commit offenses, they are often underdisciplined by teachers, school administration, and or school leaders. The data also illustrates that students of color are overdisciplined, often for perceived resistance to systems of white supremacy, i.e. subjective violations such as insubordination and disrespect. Discrimination and inequitable discipline have been among the greatest concerns for parents of students of color in BVSD. CAPL has attempted to get the district to rectify the abuses that students of color have been forced to endure under racist teachers and the inequitable disciplinary system. Recent acknowledgement of the disproportionality of the disciplinary system and attempts to create greater transparency have now resulted in white backlash against equity in discipline, as evidenced by the Leahy family lawsuit, which states that the, quote, disciplinary equity initiative is actually a system of discrimination against white students, unquote. A loss of privilege is not the same as racism. Any payment to the Leahy family is a complete disregard for students with diverse identities and experiences and undermines the racism and discrimination that students and families of color endure at school without any financial compensation or punitive consequences for the aggressors. For this reason, CAPL requests the district refrain from any payment to the Leahy family, as it will set a terrible precedent allowing any white family of means to use the legal system to undermine equitable discipline policies and hold BVSD hostage for financial settlements. An equitable disciplinary system requires that the district investigate and create a restorative justice process for resolving cases of discrimination without families having to school, sue the school district. Not doing so will continue to create a hostile environment and feed the perception among students and the community that only those with the financial resources to obtain legal representation will be the ones who will benefit from such lawsuits. If financial settlements are now a resolution for the discriminatory discipline of students in BVSD, then the district should create a price and a process by which families of color, those with students with disabilities and low-income families, can solicit compensation for the unjust consequences and experiences their students have suffered as a result of racism, classism, and inequity in BVSD. The entire process of this lawsuit has been shrouded in secrecy in contrast to the stated goals of increasing transparency around disciplinary practices in BVSD. For this reason, we request that BVSD share a public communication about the case, the school board voting process, and the settlement itself as an act of transparency. 
Families have a right to be informed on how BVSD will respond and resolve future situations when a student with marginalized identities has been oppressed through acts of racism and discrimination at any BVSD school. Creating a commitment to equity across all of its forms does not signal the district to give financial settlements when they are based on wealth and power. Every student has the right to feel safe, protected, and celebrated at their school of choice. And this settlement undoes this commitment and sends a clear message to students of color and other marginalized identities that they do not matter. We hope the district reconsiders its actions and its genuine commitment to equity. Sincerely, Latino Parent Advisory Council, CAPL. This opinion does not necessarily reflect the views of Boulder Weekly. Opinion, Writers on the Range. Restoring the land can feel like a lot of fun. Adding restoration into the domain of outdoor recreation could go a long way to enhance our time outdoors. By Richard Knight, June 29, 2023. Driving back to Colorado State University with a van full of students after a day of working to heal some beat-up land north of Fort Collins, I wondered, could ecological restoration be a new form of outdoor recreation? We'd spent the day building a sawbuck fence around a spring. From the spring, gravity would carry the water through a pipe to a stock tank in the middle of the pasture. On this land, protected by a conservation easement, cows would no longer drink, pee, and poop while trampling the spring's vegetation. The spring could recover while the cattle drank clean water elsewhere. My students had spent the day outdoors in the company of their classmates doing challenging physical work. At the moment, though, the young people were trying not to fall asleep as we neared town. Yet all day I'd seen the light in their eyes and I could tell they felt pride in learning and exercising new skills. They also clearly liked the idea of giving something back to land that would never be developed. This kind of volunteer work, the Nature Conservancy got us involved, addresses many problems today that we've come to call crises, species extinction, climate change, soil loss, and the decline of both water quantity and quality. Fortunately, many nonprofit groups, along with some owners of private lands that are protected by conservation easements, offer people an opportunity to improve damaged lands. In my home watershed of northern Colorado, we often work with the nonprofit Wildlands Restoration Volunteers, a statewide grassroots group established in 1999. To date, it has completed more than 1,000 projects on public lands, assisted by some 40,000 volunteers who have contributed over $10 million in time and expertise. Wildlands Restoration Volunteers includes people from both cities and rural areas who agree with what Wendell Berry wrote, quote, the care of the earth is our most ancient and most worthy and after all our most pleasing responsibility 
To cherish what remains of it and to foster its renewal is our only hope." Unquote. At the end of the 20th century, scientists from around the world got together to measure our planet's health. Shockingly, they reported that three out of every four acres of the Earth's surface were in a degraded state. The urgent global need to restore our damaged lands and waters has also caused the United Nations to name this the Decade of Ecosystem Restoration. It's clear we have yet to locate the sweet spot of a sustainable relationship with our world. For humans to have a future on Earth, we need to reverse the erosion of soils, pollution of air and water, and weakening of the natural ecosystems that support us. Ecological restoration can attack these problems while also playing a critical role in the drawdown of atmospheric carbon dioxide, sending it back into the plants and soils where it belongs. Although restoration and recreation have much in common, there is a major difference between the two. While outdoor recreation fulfills oneself, ecological restoration gives back to the land. Not that benefiting oneself is bad. One of the reasons we recreate is for the regenerative powers of spending time in nature. But adding restoration into the domain of outdoor recreation could go a long way to enhance our time outdoors. I've found that when a group acts to restore the health of soil, land, plants, and animals, the people involved always feel better about themselves. As botanist Robin Wall Kimmerer put it in her book, Braiding Sweetgrass, quote, as we care for the land, it can once again care for us, unquote. By restoring damaged lands and waters, we still find joy in the outdoors, but we also give back to the planet that sustains us. Let's seek out that work, turning it into something we do outdoors together, restoring lands and water, while at the same time recreating ourselves. Rick Knight is a contributor to Writers on the Range. He is Professor Emeritus of Wildlife Conservation at Colorado State University. This opinion does not necessarily reflect the views of Boulder Weekly. Cuisine Nibbles. This is the remainder of the article, Boulder's Michelin Moment, which I started last week. Michelin's affordable $50 meal. Bargain-savvy Epicureans need not stress. Michelin also awards Bib Gourmand distinctions to establishments that offer, quote, great quality food at good prices, unquote, meaning a three-course meal for one under $50. Whether or not you consider that affordable, this award may spotlight Boulder's array of remarkable homegrown and international cuisine. Other establishments can earn a Michelin green star given to, quote, leaders in sustainable gastronomy, unquote. Eric Skoken's Black Cat Farm supplied Bramble and Hare comes to mind, as does Leaf Vegetarian Restaurant, serving produce from its three-leaf farm in Lafayette. The downside to stardom. When the Michelin Guide Colorado is published later this year, 
Most restaurants won't be included or even mentioned. Don't be surprised if only one Boulder restaurant gets a single star. In the Michelin world, that translates to a mild, quote, worth a stop, unquote, recommendation. The chefs I've talked to since the announcement say the costs and pressure on staff might be overwhelming. They also worry out-of-town gastronomic tourists will make it hard for locals to get a table. History suggests getting a Michelin star doesn't guarantee an eatery will survive and make money. This level of scrutiny can be withering. When I was reviewing restaurants, few places got a perfect A from me for food, service, and ambience. On any given evening, too many things can go wrong in a busy bistro. I did get to enjoy a few genuinely magnificent meals I've never forgotten. Are these starstruck restaurants really the best places to eat in Boulder? It depends on your taste, but most of us will never know because we can't rationalize the $100 plus cost per person for admission. Fine dining devotees like to counter that it costs less than fans are willing to pay to hear a few hours of Taylor Swift or Dead and Company. No matter how many local eateries get stars, the Michelin announcement signals that Boulder's dining industry has made a profound turnaround since the devastating closings and layoffs of the pandemic, and that's a milestone worth celebrating. The Culinary Calendar, Pie and Gators. Jamestown's 4th of July community event includes a pancake breakfast, parade, food trucks, a pie contest for adults, and a kids baking contest. Sign up at facebook.com slash Jamestown 4th. That's the number four, RT, followed by TH. Alligators and Ale. July 9 at Proud Souls Barbecue, 5599 South Rio Grande Street in Littleton. Features whole smoked alligator for tacos and pizza. Enjoy local honey wine at the Orpheus Mead Fest, July 22, Jefferson Unitarian Church, 14350 West 32nd Avenue in Golden. Plan ahead. Spaghetti and Westerns Fest returns to Trinidad, Colorado and Raton, New Mexico, October 13 and 14, with a celebration of pasta, including a sauce competition, Western films, and scenic train rides. Words to chew on. Soul searching. Celebrate National Soul Food Month in June with barbecued pork ribs, barbecue or fried chicken, cornbread, black-eyed peas, collard greens, and other comforting fare at the newly reopened Ray's and K's Authentic Puerto Rican and Soul Food Kitchen. Pick up available at 2825 Wilderness Place in Boulder. Details at raysandkays2go.com. That is spelled R-A-E-S-A-N-D-K-A-Y-S-T-O-G-O. RaisinKays2Go.com. Quote, My contention is soul food is really the interior cooking of the Deep South that migrates across the country, 
I think of soul food as an immigrant cuisine and ultimately a national cuisine because black folks just landed in all parts of the country, unquote. Adrian Miller, Denver-based author of the James Beard award-winning Soul Food, The Surprising Story of an American Cuisine, One Plate at a Time. John Lendorf hosts Radio Nibbles and Kitchen Table Talk on KGNU. Comments to nibbles at boulderweekly.com. Cuisine, cooked as a cucumber. The famously cool vegetable is in season. By Ari Laveau, June 29, 2023. At an overpriced tapas joint, I once took a chance on charred cucumber salad. The dish sounded counterintuitive, to put it delicately, because everyone knows a cucumber should be served cool. Cooking a cucumber would be like giving Samson a haircut before the battle. A cool cucumber is a happy cucumber. The best have tried and failed to find a delicious way to cook a cucumber. Even James Beard, with a recipe for poached cucumbers, couldn't pull it off. The limp slices of cuke were only rendered edible with cream, mushrooms, and a twist of black pepper. I was not converted. That was before my trip to the tapas bar. Yet there I was, ordering a dish I was quite sure would not be good, on the long shot that the rules of culinary physics might temporarily bend around the charms of some cucumber-whispering chef. Perhaps there would be enough heat to induce a measure of charred fragrance, but without silencing the loudest crunch in the vegetable kingdom. But no, I got 16 bucks worth of sliced, blackened sogginess, stuck to chunks of goat cheese. Another failed attempt to cook a cucumber. When will we learn? Cucumbers are mostly water, so it's no surprise they don't respond well to fire. In Malaysian rendang curry, cooled cucumber slices often accompany the spicy gravy at the ready to douse any flames. The synergy between cucumber and water is the driving force behind the cucumber water trend. By now, you have surely noticed that cucumber water has replaced plain water in lobbies, waiting rooms, offices, and dining rooms. You don't need a fancy fruit-infusing water cooler in order to make cucumber water. All you need are cucumbers, water, and a vessel. To make cucumber water, wash a cucumber and slice it thinly, unpeeled. Discard the ends. Add the cucumber to the water along with lemon slices. Wait, drink, feel cool. The mild, refreshing, refresh, refreshing flavor of a cucumber may be subtle, but it's persistent. If given the chance, it will quietly impregnate everything in its path, allowing a small amount of cucumber to flavor a lot of water and hydrate a lot of people. That mild flavor is famously mixed with mint, garlic, and yogurt in another dish even more popular than cucumber water. This combination is a culinary universal found in many parts of the world, from Indian raita to Greek tzatziki, and few dishes are better able to capture and harness the essence of cucumber. Mint enhances the cooling action, while garlic balances the sweetness with sharp pungency. For a real-life example of this cool combo, 
Here is a recipe for a Lebanese Kiar B. Laban, or cucumber yogurt salad. The chunks of cucumber add watery crunch to a flavor that's salty and refreshing, like a dunk in the ocean in the middle of summer. The combination of cucumber, yogurt, mint, and garlic can straddle the line between a dressing and salad, depending on what you serve it with and how finely you chop the cucumber. Today's recipe is salad, so the chunks are large. I am not typically a peeler of cucumbers, but I am for this recipe so as to preserve the classic white look. Makes four servings. Three cups peeled cucumber diced into half-inch cubes or smaller. 1.5 cups yogurt, preferably strained, aka Greek style. 12 large fresh mint leaves, 1 teaspoon minced garlic, minced with the mint, see below. 1 tablespoon salt. Place the cucumber in a strainer, sprinkle with salt, and set aside for 30 minutes so the salt can draw water from the cucumbers. Give it a gentle stir every 10 minutes to help coax out the water. Meanwhile, mince or crush the garlic and mint together, then stir this mixture into the yogurt. Give the cucumbers a gentle squeeze and combine them with yogurt, garlic, and mint. Chill for 30 minutes. Serve cool. Entertainment. Stage. In the Wings. Local theater company announces plans for upcoming 13th season by Tony Tresca, June 29, 2023. Creative risk-taking has been a pillar of local theater company's mission since its inception more than a decade ago, and in keeping with the experimental ethos of the Boulder-based nonprofit, Locals Season 13 rollout will be announced in phases over the coming weeks, culminating in a kickoff party on July 23 at the Savoy in Denver. Complete details of the upcoming season won't come into full view until then, but in the meantime, co-artistic directors Nick Chase and Betty Hart offer Boulder Weekly a taste of what's in store. That includes Topher Payne's You Enjoy Myself, running at the Dairy Arts Center, from September 23 to October 15, and the return of the new play festival, Local Lab, at the Dairy from March 14 to 17, 2024. This initial announcement follows recent news that Local received three Henry Award nominations from the Colorado Theatre Guild. Categories include Director of a Musical, D. Covington, Lead Actress in a Musical, Tier 2, Jerry Hinshaw, and Best New Play or Musical for Hinshaw's breakout hit, Raised on Ronstadt. It also comes after one of the company's most ambitious seasons to date, which also featured Nick Chase and Rosalind Hart's Pop the Holidays, Hadley Kaminga Peck, Ann Penner, and Mayor Trevithan's Undone, the Lady M Project, and the aforementioned local lab. Quote, it was our season of women, not a comprehensive look at all feminist perspectives, but three distinct female experiences, says Chase. We incorporated new staff members, including Kate Gibson, executive director, and Levi Franklin, associate producer, 
and Betty, Pesha, and I were operating a new shared leadership model. In our 12th season, we expanded internally and externally and are eager to continue growing into our 13th season." Unquote. A peek behind the curtain. The first fully produced show in Local's new season, You Enjoy Myself, is directed by Hart. It's a jam, it's a jam band centered production that feels tailor-made for bolder audiences. The relationship between Judith and Eileen and their shared love of the band Fish are at the heart of this multi-generational comedy written by the Atlanta-based Payne. After more than 30 years apart, they are reunited thanks to a stranger's Instagram post. And while staying at a remote Vermont farmhouse, they explore what devotion is all about. Quote, Shortly after we presented the developmental workshop of the play in our 2022 local lab, we concluded as a team that we wanted to pursue a full production of that work, Chase says. We all agree that we wanted to support it, but we had just scheduled our 12th season and it had a lovely theme that this play didn't fit into. So we decided that it would be our season 13 opener. The production is a continuation of the work Hart, Payne, and the local team put into the play during last year's initial workshop. Quote, I am thrilled to be directing an all-local cast of incredible people to help tell Topher's beautifully written story, Hart says. This is my first opportunity to direct main stage for local, which is a huge honor. You Enjoy Myself is such a beautiful exploration of love and life." Unquote. When it comes to the return of Local Lab, next spring's iteration of the New Work Festival will see four creative teams, chosen by Anonymous Review, gather in Boulder for a week of workshops that will culminate in public readings. Local will accept submissions of previously unproduced work until August 31 of this year and announce the four shows in January 2024. Quote, it is important for us to include Local Lab as a part of our season because new work requires time and resources to move to its next iteration, Hart says. So as a theater company that values and treasures new work, we want to help support exciting original work by giving playwrights a week to get together with a cast, dramaturge, director, stage management, and production team to find the next new voice in that play's development." Unquote. Subscriptions for the new season are on sale now. While many details have yet to be announced, the local team says audiences can expect to encounter works that encourage a true expression of who we are, alone and together. Quote, One of the themes that emerged last season that we did not really promote but was internally significant for us was about what it looks like to live authentically, Hart says. That is still something we are interested in, so expect more projects in season 13 that help artists and the community find their voices." Unquote. On stage, local theater company season kickoff party, 5.45 p.m. Sunday, July 23, at the Savoy, 2700 Arapahoe Street in Denver, free.
Events 2023 4th of July Parade and Pancake Festival in Superior, Colorado, Tuesday, July 4, 7 a.m. to 12 p.m. 122 East William Street, Superior, Colorado. Call 303-554-0789. Price $200. Description. Celebrate the superior spirit with pancakes and kickball in this year's Superior 4th of July festivities. Tuesday, July 4th, 7 a.m. to 12 p.m. Featuring all the Superior traditions, old and new. Superior Mile, Community Parade, Pancake Festival, and Community Center Celebration. Oh, the $200 is for a vendor booth. In Person, Ascent, a Boulder Sound Walk. Friday, June 30, Saturday, July 1, Sunday, July 2, Tuesday, July 4, all at 7 o'clock a.m. at Scott Carpenter Park, 1505 30th Street in Boulder. Free. Experience music as never before with Ascent, a Boulder Soundwalk, a free interactive sound installation composed by Divya Mouse and performed by Ars Nova Singers. Installed in Boulder's Scott Carpenter Park, this active and immersive nature concert invites listeners to move with the music as they explore the sonic landscape on a self-guided soundwalk. Discover each vibrant musical piece in turn as you venture throughout the park. Bring your sense of curiosity and adventure along with some good walking shoes. Please note there is also a wheel-friendly version of the Soundwalk, making it accessible to all levels of ability. Contact Ars Nova Singers, Kimberly Brody, Kimberly at ArsNovaSingers.org, 303-819-0058. Independence Day Fun and Fireworks on July 1st. 4 p.m. to 10 p.m., Wanaka Lake Park, 1600 Caria Drive in Lafayette, Colorado. Fireworks show at dusk. Presenting sponsor BV Builders, presenting band sponsor Jack's Farm and Ranch, and Jack's Outdoor Gear, July 1st, 2023, 4 to 10 p.m., Wanaka Lake Park. From 4 to 8.30 p.m., enjoy an old-fashioned Independence Day. Fireworks show at dusk. Food from Abo's Pizza, Tibet's, Ruby Roo's, All-American Grill, and dessert from Eats and Sweets. Beer, Cider, Wine Garden, fees apply. Craft beer and cider provided by STEM Ciders. Kids' activities including free face painting. Fees apply for some kids' activities. Music by Chris Daniels and the Kings. Thank you for joining us for the Boulder Weekly. My name is Eric Levine. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.